Well, hello everyone, and happy Grogla days, as usual. Uh, but not as usual, because our usual flow to this show is each episode we pick a, a rogue-type game, a roguelike, a roguelite, if you will, uh, and then we uh, we talk about them, and we, we retch, and we rave, and we rank, and uh, we don't do that this week, because we're on break, baby! Holiday time. Woo! <laughs> Merry holiday to you too. Uh, and for this uh, special uh, entrance into our podcast catalog, uh, we we got some fun stuff uh, coming down the chimney at you. Uh, but before we do that, I am your mythological gift giver for the episode, Scott Berger, and with me are my naughty or nice co-hosts. It's me, Colin, otherwise known as Calibrimbor, Forger of the One Ring. Santa's helper. <laughs> and I am Andrew Yulecat Harshman. Uh, look that up. That's some fine uh, Icelandic mythology. Yulecat. Well, we have we have two things that we'll do for this episode. Uh, first, we're going to jump into a developer interview with a previous episode that we've reviewed Warsim the Realm of Islona the solo developer for that Hugh uh, and then after that we'll jump into some listener emails that we've gotten uh, so first let's uh let's seamlessly transition uh, into another audio file recording with our developer interview all right well we are joined here with our very special guest, our only guest on the podcast that we've had thus far, and I think a great inaugural one, we are joined by our previous episode, Warsim, The Realm of Islona, de uh, solo indie dev, Hugh. And if I'm butchering your name, Hugh, I, I uh, apologize, but oh, man, your you last name... <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the first name, oh boy, uh, but your last name, Hugh Millward... Yeah, yeah, that's right. I got the yes. Welsh first name and then some English colonial second name. So we're, you know, <laughs> all good. <laughs> Crumpet eating bastards. Um, yeah, those yeah. neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time uh, across all sorts of time zone craziness to join us for today. Um, if people are listening to this and they're saying, "Oh, well, I haven't listened to to your Warson episode before." Uh, Hugh, can you give us a one-sentence description of what Warsim is all about? Oh, I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> if you can boil it down. I always struggle to actually describe it, to be honest. I feel like other people tend to get it better than me. It's uh, it's a very strange game that's kind of inspired. Oh, do you know what? I'm already one sentence over, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think <laughs> it's just a fucking It's a very strange game. game. There you go. That's, yeah, uh, there we uh, go. Uh, Boom. <laughs> I think that does summarize it. <laughs> Well, one of the uh, one of the reasons why we picked Warsim up uh, to talk about before was because it is a very unique game. It's a it's a very text based, very console like command console terminal based game. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, it is a very kind of uh, colony management ASCII sim with insane levels of randomization and procedural generation i think uh and yeah i think uh at the time that we we had reviewed it will was just overflowing with praise and Absolutely. colin didn't really get it and uh and yeah i thought like 
you know, for our, our winter special here that we're, we're kind of buffering out, um, time to give, give my lovely co-hosts a, a little bit of a break from constantly reviewing, uh, video games, thought, well, you know, it'd be a good idea to kind of, we, like, we always get requests from, from listeners. When are you going to have developers on the show? And I'm always kind of nervous about, uh, having a developer come on, on the podcast and, uh, if one of our podcast co-hosts was was meh or didn't like the game, uh, <laughs> having having to uh, to navigate that. But I think, yeah, like Warsim, every time I've opened it has always been a fun and insane experience where the world of the text generation, I think, really helps to bring the imaginative possibilities to the fore. And it's just like you said, it's crazy. And it's like. Every time I open it, I'm like, all right, this time I'm definitely going to do this thing. And I wound up going down an hour-long rabbit hole of trying to do political negotiations between half-fungi horses and demonic orcs, <laughs> as you do. So, um, Yeah, sounds about right, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I play yeah, maybe... some stuff myself, man, and I, I honestly find some stuff that I've totally forgotten is in there <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Catches me off guard, like... That's uh, years of very random, sporadic adding things here and there. Sometimes, maybe when I'm uh, <laughs> under the influence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the best time to to be developing, right? It's like the the right drunk edit sober approach. Well, I don't know. It depends. You come back the next day and there's a bunch of bugs that you don't know how they're there, and you wonder who wrote that code. That that's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up with ideas, though, that's that's a better thing. But yeah, bringing them to light definitely not mm -hmm. when you make some absolutely garbage code. Yeah, and uh, and you've been you've been at this for a long time with Warsim in particular. Uh, you had it uh, debut in early access in 2017, and then you 1.0'd it last year. So congrats and kudos on that. Thank um, you. I'm kind of curious, and I I know this is always a thing that like people can never give an answer to, but over that five year period, you've seen it evolve a lot. Like what what sort of anticipations or thoughts do you have about the next five years of Warsim? I don't know. To be honest, I've thought about it and I think that, like you say, it is something that's always evolving, but I, I really like don't feel like I'll ever be able to comfortably close the chapter on Warsim completely in, in, in my life. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the world will make it happen at some point. Like I, I have finally started looking at uh, working on future projects and things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it keeps ticking along. People keep playing it, enjoying it and, it's for some reason been my full-time job for years and years now. And I, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that it's a CMD game. Uh, but, you know, hey, if the world wants to keep doing it, <laughs> I'm not going to complain. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. I really enjoy the game. And I think, obviously, there's certain things in it that are random enough that it's not, it doesn't get stale for me. But there are areas of it that do. And so I'm always tweaking and trying to change and add things. And there's a list of maybe 2,000 odd solutions and fixes and additions that people have suggested or come up with over the years that is still making this ginormous list that I need to look through and think, hmm, that was a good idea though. You know, maybe I could add that. And that's another two weeks. So I think it's it's always going to be there, even if it takes a sort of lesser role in 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 my life and isn't something I focus on programming or, or developing as intently. I think it's still going to be there to some degree. Obviously, you know, bug support, that sort of thing. But I don't know. I mean, five years ago, I, w I would have thought that I probably would have finished with it within within a few months, maybe a year. <laughs> and then, you know, four or five years on, it's a completely different game and bigger than it ever was before in, in community, in total amount of people that have played it and in, in what the game is itself. 
I look back at the really, really old versions of it. I kind of cringe, to be honest. Like, this, was shit. <laughs> <laughs> this was total garbage. But um, yeah, nah. I, what, I don't know. It's, features... it's a really hard one to estimate. Yeah, what, what features in particular do you, are you looking at back and you say, wow, I can't believe this game existed without these features. These have like really, these additions have really made the game transform into something that's way better. I think the easiest one to say like as as that specific thing would be the throne room. It was a total mm. afterthought. It was not intended to be part of the game whatsoever. And I saw something that did something similar in a, a game called Sort the Court, an indie game. And I thought, oh, that's really fun. And so I added a little, a little sort of mini thing in there um, just to play around with it. And it was kind of fun. And I kept expanding it. And I think in the end, there were maybe, I think, 150 different throne room encounter base types with then within them loads of different variants. Some would have hundreds of variants. Some would have obviously just pure proc gen. And it just ended up being chaos. But people would always say, oh, it's getting a bit samey. Oh, I'm getting a few a few similar encounters. And I'd be like, shit, got to add another 50 new encounters. Um, but it was never intended to be a main part of the game. And the amount of people that have sort of said it's the main thing they enjoy has blown my mind. And I'm I'm like, bloody hell, I'm really glad I did add that now because it was, <laughs> it was definitely not even remotely intended to be part of the thing. But I think it does sort of get you involved in the world on, the, on a sort of grassroots level. Yeah, for me, it definitely, like I, I was booting it up on uh, my Steam Deck last night. And you would think that this is a game that would not fare well on the Steam Deck, <laughs> but somehow it does work insanely well because someone has a um, a custom controller config that just maps like a um, zero a zero to nine numeric scroll wheel to the left trackpad. Wow. And it's just like scroll nine, hit A, scroll eight, hit A. It's Amazing. It works so seamlessly. And yeah, like, Sitting there, just okay. Boot up throne room. All right, uh, uh, advisors. What am I supposed to be doing today? Oh, you should go invade this goblin camp. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Uh, yeah, it has become kind of a a core piece to to how I interact with it. But yeah, there's just there's so much craziness going. I think either between like the throne room or uh, gambling my fortunes away in the arena <laughs> are probably the the two major pillars. But yeah, so like as you're as you're going through and you're adding all these things and and uh, taking feedback from the community and stuff, like it's that's that's a lot of brain power that's involved with all that. And um, in that kind of creative enterprise, like what do you what do you do to stay inspired or like where does where does that kind of creative juice come from for you? That's a good one. Yeah, I mean, so for. For creative energy, I mean, I try and reply to everyone. And I think when I see a buzzing and active community, that's probably the biggest fuel I could ever have. So when there's lots of people sharing stuff or people share their memes or they share something that's just gone wrong or some weird thing that's been spat out by the proc gen in their world, I always find that so inspiring. And when I see any kind of fan art, anything like that, it always makes me so happy. Um, I mean, I try, and, I try and reply to everything, but obviously sometimes I'm having to bookmark things that are massive essays that I don't have the mental energy to face maybe today, but I don't want to forget it. So I've got... Sometimes that builds up to hundreds of things, but I always get there in the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think seeing the community, that's probably the biggest inspiration that makes me work on it. Um, sometimes I'll I'll take a break from Warsim and I'll go back and have a little play through it and I'll start thinking, oh, man, you know, what? it'd be really fun if I could do this. And then it gives me the motivation. And, and I think the problem is that I indulge in that maybe too much. And then I, I don't focus on the things I need to finish. But instead, I'm like, oh, I've got a new cool idea. Let's open this rabbit hole. But now that rabbit hole also needs to be wrapped up. And so I've I've spent some time trying to catch up on my own little uh, rabbit hole creations that I've done. But at the same time, I've also got another 12 rabbit holes that I want to open. So, 
you know, it is what it is. <laughs> the the curse of creativity there. Yeah, I guess oh, I'm geez. to expand on that. I'm a little curious as to how how you sort of spun up and cultivated those communities, because I think like in terms of of indie dev uh, community engagement, like you are at like the top, you're sitting on the throne in the throne room of like, oh, hell yeah. I see anything related to Warson, boom, there's Hugh, they're talking and responding to to comments and stuff about it. Uh, very much a, uh, he's he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. I mean, he's on deal. our podcast and our podcast, I, know. I mean, is uh, <laughs> as popular <laughs> the, as it is. Wildly. The 69th most popular oh, uh, right. video game podcast in Germany, as it turns out. I mean, <laughs> wow, that's, he's everywhere. Such accolades. Beat us <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like if if someone um, there, I see this all the time, people are coming out with a with a new indie game. They're super excited to share it with the community and all that. But like how how do you go from building out your your indie game to building out the community around it also? Mm. It's, it's hard because I really have to think back to like eight years ago when it first started, because I think that is the thing for me. It's been a slow burn. Like I, I actually worked on Warsim as a as a test project to sort of learn how to program, which is why it's in the command prompt, because I didn't even know how to draw stuff to a window. <laughs> and then um, at some point I was like, ah, whatever, I'm, I'm kind of bored with this. And I started working on a Wasteland game that was, because uh, I was waiting for Fallout 4 to come out. And it, was, it wasn't it was here yet. And I was so like, ah, oh, I just want to play <laughs> another Wasteland game. So I worked on one myself. And I really got into that. And I was working in a bar in a hotel at the time, taking notes of every, every little game idea I had in between serving people. And after six months of working on it, the code got wiped. And it was a, oh, it was no. a nightmare. Yeah, it was a real disaster. Did uh, did not know my source control very well um, at the time, but you know, rookie mistake. We learn, we live. Um, but at the time, I'd been sharing it on Reddit, and I'd been um, posting it on um, on different gaming subreddits, um, sharing it, and just everywhere I possibly could. To be honest, I mean, I tried not to to spam, but I feel like it may have even verged on that at points. I'm not sure. Um, and that built up, and I remember getting something like 400 people subscribed to the subreddit at one point. And I really, to me at the time, having no experience with any real game dev, I was like, oh my God, I've made it. <laughs> this is the dream. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then obviously that all went to, to hell. And I, I thought, oh, God damn, that's, that's me done then. But I picked up War Sim, started working on it. And I think the same sort of story it wasn't as fast, but it, at some point it started growing in the same direction. I got a few more people coming to the subreddit cross post my posts to other subreddits you know little things here and there and youtube videos any kind of coverage and those things started started growing and at some point it eclipsed the old uh the old uh games total amount of people on the reddit i think it got to 400 500 thousand whatever and over time it starts developing and i think um obviously some people's philosophy with video games and i've had friends who are game developers who've come up to me and said hey why are you still walking on warson man you could dump that game pump out another game within a year, blah, blah. And I I don't respect that process. I really, I, I, I think the pump and dump game development scheme is, it usually produces crap. <laughs> it, it produces stuff that people don't care about as much because you're just trying to make something just to get it out there. And I, I respect people at making anything, to be fair, but I think making something with passion, sometimes it takes time and there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes at the end of the day, you have something that's better for the, the sum of its parts than because you've spent so long working on it. So... You know, I think maybe that's the the thing that's helped it in in totality become what it is now, despite the fact it's a CMD game <laughs> in 2023. But you know, again, no complaints from me. <laughs> so we're not expecting a a war sim uh, a mobile port anytime soon with a uh, with cutesy graphics. Well, there, there definitely won't be any any sequels put it that way. And I did look into a mobile port, but it, it's a difficult one to pull off. 
someone did manage to get it emulated through a weird bootleg Windows emulator, but unfortunately, <laughs> it prints the screen out and it takes three seconds for every new screen to load. And obviously, that very quickly becomes very tedious. But it was mm -hmm. cool to see that it was possible. I think the, the closest we'll get to any kind of mobile port is the one you were playing this morning <laughs> or yesterday, whatever it was, the uh, Steam Deck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I got. I have to ask. I mean, you, you keep making reference. I think in, in mo a lot of the your your interviews. Your, your I think in your most recent um, uh, YouTube um, uh, broadcast as well. That um, you know this is this is very much a a game that runs in Windows CMD. And I'm wondering, is that is that like a a, a symbol of like pride that this is like this is a, a cool unique thing? Or in hindsight, would you have structured this differently um, and use a different sort of framework? Um, just to give yourself oh. more flexibility to do the porting over and all this stuff. I mean, in hindsight, it's easy to to say whatever, <laughs> but uh, I'm just curious. Oh, definitely. In hindsight, <laughs> I think Warsim would have probably been a graphical game that wouldn't have gotten as far as it was because I would have I would have <laughs> avoided going in the CMD route. I think it literally came out of the, my lack of skills at the time, and rather than quitting and just trying to learn to do it better, I just kept expanding on the the mountain of spaghetti code running out of cmd that i already had which is i don't know if you guys saw my um my post i had on uh programming humor but i posted a a screenshot of my code uh because people were sharing a um picture of their large code bases i think someone shared that they had fifty thousand lines of code in a single file so for non-programmers that that's terrible like you don't do that that's a bad practice well awesome is six hundred fifty thousand lines of code in one file <laughs> So I posted it on their subreddit and said, hey, by the way, it's a game on Steam. And everyone went fucking ballistic. And it was uh, it was the single biggest day the Warsome ever had for sales, bizarrely. Wow. <laughs> and it it ended up the number one post on Reddit for 10 minutes. And then um, an admin <laughs> or a mod must have swept it and it went off. And I, I think it got 4,000 comments. It was crazy. Huh. But yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a source of pride that I've even gotten to the point where it still functions and it is a thing. But yeah, I definitely would have done it differently if I had the skills and abilities obviously have not built it out of the the worst possible way i could have but hey it is what it is <laughs> it's all gone well in the end there's i guess maybe on that kind of note of uh quote unquote soft remasters or soft reboots in, in a sense um two sort of major uh headliner games of of the um the roguelike space have been dwarf fortress and caves of cud and those mm. both have been working with the publisher Kit Fox to kind of like come in, help modernize it to some extent. I mean, Dwarf Fortress is kind of the poster child for like, you know, um, mania and menus upon menus and all that, all that kind of stuff. And the the uh, Herculean effort that I think Kit Fox has put in mm. to make it, you know, graphical and like playable on and like Steam Deck verified and all that kind of crazy, crazy nonsense. Um but there, Kit Fox is also doing a pass on Caves of Cud to do a similar kind of, um, I don't know if they're going in and like rewriting the code base specifically, but all, but doing a lot of like UX, UI, quality of life improvements, that kind of thing. Do you foresee something like that in Warsim's future of like needing to go back into the uh, the wacky pile of spaghetti and like... <laughs> try to like clean it up some to to make some new features happen or you know to enable some kind of future thing that that would be tough to implement currently well i mean if kit fox wanted to to have a little look at my gigantic bowl of spaghetti and have a try they're very very welcome to <laughs> <laughs> but i think that would be a task <laughs> uh-huh 
More um, of a scared straight program. Yeah, definitely. I think I think they'll probably never bother doing that again after they saw War Sims uh, back end. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe maybe they're they're amazing wizards. I mean, the Dwarf Fortress code is probably a lot cleaner, but it, it, we are talking a what twenty years worth of code there. Like it's a monster behemoth of a of a thing. So the fact they were able to make any massive changes to that is impressive. Hmm. Uh, I didn't hear about the Caves of Cud thing either. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited when that because uh, I think the the Kitfox partnership is supposed to help them get across the 1.0 barrier sometime in next year 2024. So yeah, definitely stay tuned for for podcast listeners, and I'd, I'd be curious to to take a look once they once they have that finally done. Um, in the world of uh, and kind of dovetailing off of that, like mm. Warsim is very ascii driven but like i love i love like the style of ascii art that's involved with it it's not something that's very common or that you see a whole lot in these days um and i guess maybe like the traditional roguelike space involves a lot of like ascii character symbolization of like oh you are this little at sign running around and using that kind of symbology whereas warsim is very much more of like here's Here's a an artistic representation of something done with ASCII art. Um, I'm curious, like, have have you engaged much with like other games that use that similar kind of art style to learn from or or take notes on, or are you just kind of like thinking about, oh, how do I represent this thing in in ASCII in by yourself? I think I'm definitely inspired by other games when I see them, but I'm like I can't remember the name of the game. There was a game that used ASCII art a little while ago, and it was really, really impressive, mm. like crazy scenes made in ASCII, like the whole game. And um, I look at that and go, "Well, I'm not going to be able to fucking do that. <laughs> no way." <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I I think I've always just drawn random little ASCII things in in the Windows Notepad on my on my little computers whenever I've worked in like government offices and stuff. It's always been something I've done on the side so it was really just just doing that really just i mean war sims ascii art is it's it's got its own little thing but it's definitely like for the most part simpler than some of the, the crazy ascii scenes you'll see in that some artists will do so i think it, it definitely straddles the middle line and i think it, it's kind of found its style and, and i'm happy to keep it to that but um yeah it's very very simple but i think especially little faces they definitely got their own charm of them <laughs> Yeah, I think there's two... trillions of them, but they all look the same in the end. <laughs> uh, I love it whenever the uh, the description involves like some sort of like you know old old crone with warts all over her face, and you just see like semicolons all over the place. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's perfect. Yeah, like two games that come to mind for me are one is um, is Sanctuary RPG, and yeah. that one's like much more of a straightforward like dungeon crawler like hack and slash type thing, but it's all all kind of text based, but it does have. Uh, uh, similarly inspired kind of um, ASCII as like the landscape art design. I'm like, oh man, I wish like more games would would straddle this middle ground between just pure net hack style. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, I, I joke that it almost just looks like a strong password generator uh, vomited <laughs> up on the screen. Um, but That's like, a great one. <laughs> <laughs> like a balance between like that end of the spectrum. Like the war sim and where it's like, you know, you have like something I can actually look at and visualize, even though it is with with um, characters. Uh, and then there's another one uh, that is is also kind of insane. It's not it's not a roguelike specifically, but um, it is a Chinese character puzzle game that you can find on Steam that 
Uh, if you just type word game into Steam, I think it's like, it, it should be obvious which one pops up because it has like some kind of Chinese character um, uh, promo art Okay. to it. But it is, it's insane where, you know, they have this kind of like symbolic character representation of things, but there's like, And I mean, I don't, I don't speak Chinese at all. So I was using like Google, uh, Google lens on my, my desktop screen to try Wow. to have it like on the fly translate and obviously not a great experience, but, uh, the way that like the trailer shows like, oh, here's how they're like using Hmm. Um I guess my question here is um if you were graduating from Warsim into a Warsim 2 or whatever your next next project might be would would you be like still on that track of the ASCII as the landscape artistic style or would you be going in like a, a a different turn of a direction on that theme? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if I was doing a Warsim 2, like In theory, it probably would have to have that ASCII style, at least to some degree, even if it was like partially more graphical. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think I'd, I'd sooner jump off a bridge than work on a Warsim 2, <laughs> just because <laughs> it's like I can commit that much energy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I don't know. I just looked at this game you mentioned, though, this um, this word game. It's really fascinating. The the blockiness of the, the Chinese characters really, really adds to the, the way they're building scenes with it. It's really, really cool. Never seen anything like this before. I just got to add here that um, I I love the ASCII art of all the characters. The procedural generate procedural generation in general uh, just gets um, uh, in such an, a unique way to create more um, experiences like fun uh, experiences in games that like I just love Hundred the percent. way that you implemented. And I am going to take a moment here to just gush and say I think we played. On this podcast, we we had fifteen episodes in, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" All we do is play shit games. Like we just play bad game after bad game, and like, what the heck is this war sim? Oh my goodness, text space. I don't know about this, but then it was just such an incredible delight, uh, getting the top spot on for like and until we played. I think luck be a landlord, which I think was like nearly the same, and like RimWorld, I can't. It's almost on a different level with how much. Respect, uh, yeah, Yeah, fair play. but like. Uh, for solo dev efforts, like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. And I, and I think, and I'm, I'm sorry, Scott, but I just, I'm going to have to just say, oh my good, the, 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 there's a, a feature for not everyone. I, I, I think is, is the, is the case here, but like for me in particular, that arena, and I know I posted to the subreddits and I, you were all over like the, you know, responding about this, but the breaking the war sim and like how to like always, like pretty much always win the arena bets and like just getting any game. That makes me bust out a spreadsheet and be like, how do I optimize this? Like, what are the, all the features that are important for like discovering who's going to win? Oh, such a delight to try and like kind of you kind of I kind of got a view into your mind, I think, as like you were putting this together as like, oh, yeah, this thing goes with this. And like, it's just oh, such a fun experience to decode that. And I just want to say thank you. That um, that was Ah, <laughs> oh, man, such that, a delight. that means a lot, man. Thank you so much.
we'll see. The, the walls of text, not not my thing, but like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me either. To be fair, yeah, story. I wish I loved story. I feel like I'm missing out so much with all these like really intricate stories that were built in. But I'm just that's just uh, that's not my flavor. But that's totally fine because that's. I, um, I will uh, say this: the walls of text. I kind of like getting into because it it does paint such like a very thorough description of the world. I do have to ask: are like those those are all handwritten right those aren't procedurally generated um for the most part i mean that i think it's hard to remember over the years which things have been proc gen and which things haven't so obviously with graphics like for faces things like that flags they're all proc gen for the most part um aside from like individual faces for specific hard-coded characters in the world but like there i know there was a i think there was a newspaper in one of the main towns the black market and i'm pretty sure that's proc gen entirely um i'm trying to think yeah there's there's a few things i think there's like a i tempted a random poetry system but it, it flopped hard <laughs> there's um there's like the random phrases that kingdoms get that get randomly generated and it's very incoherent um hmm. yeah i'm trying to think i've done i've had these little projects over the years that i've tried to slap in there but yeah for the most part a lot of the the words were random uh sorry were pre-written mm -hmm. um it's mostly the the faces the the proc gen races that sort of thing the, maybe the bandit groups and then you've got a lot of random generated systems then that roll in the background that sort of uh blur the lines then between hard coded and not but i love proc gen i'd love i'd love a game that was pure proc gen i think some people really see it as a negative because they're used to proc gen done badly and mm. they see it as a lazy way to do game development and i really hate that stance because i think proc gen can't any complete proc gen with no no I don't know rules behind it. It's just noise. But if you if you put an intelligent rule set behind any kind of proc gen, you can build really anything that obviously spits out more content that you could ever use. And I think like the the more the more content and the more the more sort of rule sets and and background things you put into a proc gen system, the more intelligent it becomes to the point where it supersedes most of the stuff that could be done without it. In my opinion, personally. But then you see games on a large scale that promote themselves for having proc gen and then do it so badly they make everyone else think <laughs> proc gen is such a such a horrible thing, you know, like <clears throat> Starfield. <laughs> <laughs> that that, was, that um, came to my mind first, and there was what was before No Man's Sky, I think, when, at least in its early days. I haven't played it. Yeah, yeah the, the start thing. I mean, I, I actually got banned from the uh, Starfield subreddit for posting a, a meme about how their uh, their proc gen planets were literally copy-pasting the same dungeons every three seconds. <laughs> oh, no. It's so depressing. I really wanted to enjoy that. But, yeah, I don't know. I, w I literally worked on a proc-gen exploration system a week prior to playing Starfield and saw that I think I'd spent more time designing... I mean, obviously, they what they have to do isn't just making a little ASCII thing on the screen, so full respect <laughs> for that. <laughs> obviously, it's much easier for me. But when it comes to the systemic side, I thought it was really, really empty and really disappointing. Mm -hmm. or, 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 I don't know, it really surprised me, but, hey... There we go. Another another bit of uh, proc gen washing as as it goes. <laughs> yeah, there's uh there's another um indie indie effort. I think this is a solo dev effort. Uh a a game, I think it's now mostly on Steam. They have a free demo on their website called Space Engine. And mm. it's always I use it as as basically planetarium software now, but a big portion of it is um procedurally generated uh, star systems and planets and things like that. And it's all going for like very extreme realism and all those things. Um, but I always find it funny that like <laughs> you have these AAA uh, game dev studios that you think would specialize in this kind of thing. 
Um, and admittedly, like Space Engine, it's it's not being designed as like an MMO or like right. game oriented activities. And so literally all the planets are actually barren. But, you know, the um, but the level of uh, interestingness with how those planets are constructed all feel so very unique. And I haven't played Starfield yet, but um, I mean, I don't know, like. Maybe if it goes deep on sale or something, I could be convinced. Or yeah, I don't know. Or if if there's a uh, on game a space, pass, okay. yeah. Oh well, yeah. That or if um uh or if like different planets are added to Skyrim, maybe uh maybe that would be up my alley. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess like yeah, that that's always an interesting thing about you know games that have randomness labeled as proc gen with very little procedure behind their literal generation instead of oh well you know you just have uh a bunch of random things and you got to pick from one proc gen um, well all that matters is how many billions of planets you can say you can visit exactly. i mean or exactly. trillions you know just like <laughs> oh look at all the permutations possible that makes a good game right uh-huh uh, it's exactly what i do with uh, trillions of faces in <laughs> Hey, there's, that, that, there's trillions of faces and millions of races <laughs> please buy my game <laughs> You know, that actually reminds me. I think that's that's one of the, the the things I just I really loved about Warsim is that I, I feel like you and I would probably approach like the game development in a very similar way. I have in a, a Google Sheet somewhere a monster name generator, which was based on some something in Diablo. I noticed it was always the the blank of blank. It always had the structure to it, and mm-hmm. so you could just like basically pull syllables from like Russian and like Klingon and kind of like all these languages that kind of <laughs> hard oh, yeah. sounds. Just pull syllables together and then like creatures and then just like basically say, okay, give me a random permutation. And you get these really unique creature names and you could just assign properties to like, the oh, if they're flaming, then they have this much damage. And like, it's just a such a fun way to get to, oh, and now we have trillions of possibilities. And it just, it's fun to just like keep rolling the dice and be like, oh, this, this creature here, what can we have it do? And uh, I just, um, I, I like, I like this approach in general to um uh and, and it's not just the randomization it's just like this as a mechanic that you build something on top of i think is uh, a really a uh, fun way of approaching uh world development yeah that's pretty much exactly how i i've tried to approach it man so me and you would have been on the exact same wavelength <laughs> so, well i've got a i've got a question from one of our uh co-hosts who couldn't make it this morning uh because they're quote-unquote working and they had a job uh, Ooh. And, <laughs> uh andrew wanted to ask uh which feature for warsim was the hardest for you to cut the cut i don't know if i've cut anything from warsim to be honest i think that's the problem maybe that i've uh maybe that's why we're here for eight years because <laughs> i don't i don't really cut anything i mean or is that oh maybe that's a lie there's been like tiny little areas that have been sort of left so badly partially done that i've just given them a snip and no one's noticed really hmm. um but yeah, no, for the most part, any any feature that was, for the most part, added was seen through and added, which is why it's still being developed after eight years. Maybe yeah, to... not cuts made here. Maybe I should have made cuts. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it seems to have been working so far. I guess um, maybe to pivot on the question, is there anything that you would want to implement that your current build is kind of limiting you from doing? I don't know, to be honest. I feel like I kind of have the mentality that I know what can be added and I know what would be obviously great. Like someone's like, hey, can you make it an MMO? No, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, obviously, for the most part, everything else easily addable with enough time and effort. So I'm always thinking and considering of things that could could make it better. I think the one issue that I have, which really always seems to elude me, 
is remembering balance when adding whole new sections of the game. And it's like, how does this actually affect the flow of the game for someone? And it's like, well, maybe I added something that can be exploited to make things take way less time. And suddenly the whole balance has been thrown off. And I think that's the one thing. Maybe that's a bit of a solo dev building a big old thing and not being able to keep an eye on all of the moving parts thing. But that's probably been my biggest problem is seeing how the game has evolved over the time I've added these things. And suddenly people are able to do things very differently, very quickly and exploit certain things in very different ways where I've been like, crap, I really did not consider that whatsoever. And difficulty, difficulty modes definitely have changed where something that used to be really hard is now maybe not so hard or, or maybe even vice versa in some instances. But when people but, find these, they post it to the subreddit or to the Discord and you see it and then then basically, is that the balance mechanism that's currently in place? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I definitely keep an eye on that. I mean, I think the biggest thing is if a lot of people are saying the same thing, that's usually sets an alarm off my head where I'm like, I should, I should probably pay attention to this at least. Um, and I always try and listen, but I think that I, I've said this a few times. I really genuinely thought getting into game development that like, you know, as with the internet, as with comments, trolls, things like that, you probably get, you know, most people talking a lot of nothing. And a few people that might have some good points, but it is really hard to find someone who has a bad take with with anything because they're they're passionate about it, they enjoy it, they and even if even if you're not enjoying it and you're angry, you that's a passion. Do you know what I mean? So like I I found a lot of positive interactions with people who've left bad reviews for Warsim, where uh, they've they've said something, and even even if it's vitrolic, they've put something in there that I'm like, okay, I see what you're saying though. That is a good point. Like it really does drop off at that point, or that that feature really could be expanded, or that element of the game really. I, I see where you're coming from and I have a little chat and before you know it, they're giving me better tips than than I've heard in years and mm. they're changing their review to positive and apologizing to me. <laughs> and the game's better because of it too. So, hey. One thing that I've noticed with um, doing a lot of data deep diving for this podcast is that the a lot of like the indie roguelike games that I have in this humongous spreadsheet there's so many of them that have so few reviews to them. Like you would think like, oh, like all these games have thousands and thousands of reviews. They're all so popular and all that. Um, let's see. I can't go a podcast episode without rattling off some inanely boring stats here. But <laughs> uh, apparently 50% of rogue style games in any capacity on Steam have six reviews or fewer. Wow. And 25% have 56 or or fewer or no wait no, no i got that backwards <laughs> even worse the top 25 percent of all of those games have at least 56 reviews wow um so i'm curious from your perspective like in terms of building up that uh marketing hype around a game is it is it like a sound strategy to try to like give out review keys to people to get them to to review your game and get eyeballs on it or is it more about that kind of inter or like that very direct um direct messaging to to people in those kind of communities do you think there's like an advantage of one over the other so it's it's kind of hard to tell when you do a lot of different things what it is that's actually bearing fruit when it's just you look at steam and go oh a lot of people have bought it today it's hard to tell exactly where things have come from. Sometimes there's a very obvious reason. Like if I did this podcast and I've done nothing else for a week <laughs> and suddenly 20 million people buy Warsim, I'm like, well, this is all that happened today. So it's definitely come from this, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I know that's going to happen. So thank you guys. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the throw everything at the wall and see what sticks kind of approach, as long as you're not stepping on any toes or spamming. Um, so I'm, I'm a big believer in sending Steam keys and review keys to anyone who, who I think 
deserves it really and and so i've i've hit up i tried to hit up i think maybe everyone who's played dwarf fortress publicly that i could find that i i thought it's a similar game maybe they'll be willing to try it um other similar games every media outlet i could find that i thought was relevant um youtubers in general that covered the same genres of gaming maybe things like that uh people online that were posting forum forum post threads things like that just literally everything i possibly could to see what worked and i think over the years surprisingly not many things worked crazy well but a lot of things worked a little bit well over the over time and and i think you know you post a post somewhere on reddit and you get three people a day that happen to see it and one of them maybe buys the game or something and maybe zero of those people review it but you've got enough little things like that all <laughs> over the internet it's filtering and feeding through people from these little internet tubes all over the place and if there's enough of them it forms a sea where there's always some people coming through from all over the place and then those people do it I think the average sale tends to not be a review. I'm not sure what the ratio is. I'm pretty sure lately Steam has made changes that make the review quantities higher per mm -hmm. customer than it used to be. Um, but even now, obviously, you know, it's it's probably less than one in 10. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's just really come from trying to reach as many people as possible and, and try everything. And sometimes you try something and even if it doesn't work, you can see why it hasn't once you've tried it and maybe go, hmm, well, maybe if I tried it this way. So it's it's always evolving. There's always more things you can do. I've still got a massive amount of things on my war sim marketing list of hit these people up, message these people, try this, do this, go here, do that. But obviously I've only got one, one 24 hour day. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, I gotta ask you, cause I mean, you, you might have this in front of you or you might just know, but um, I have to believe there's some relationship between the, like the overwhelmingly positive and like the ratio of reviews to, to people who purchase the game. So which is to say that if you just create a game that people love, then you're more likely to get like a lot of reviews. And so step one, oh, easy, just create a game that people love, that's unique and creative, <laughs> that's, you know, gets people thinking. And then that's 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 where you where you can get a lot of reviews. But it, yeah, it probably does have to do a lot with like these other um, incremental marketing strategies as well. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, it, the games that people hate, like just people just uninstall right away. I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a or good point. Or maybe I'll, I'll rage say this is a terrible game. Don't buy it. Maybe that's how you get high reviews as well. But uh, it doesn't seem applicable here. Well, uh, uh, a disagreement factor between Will and I. I'll point at, I'll point to the uh, the art games as people will buy anything regardless of how well uh, reviewed it is. So the art uh, games. Yeah, Ark Survival Evolved. Remember the oh the dark. Yeah, uh, okay. I think I think that like there was a recent release of that on Steam like a few weeks ago, and it's just been like overwhelmingly negative. But people are still buying it. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean uh, Starfield too. I mean that, that was another one. Well, that, I mean I think it's mixed yeah. overall right now. I don't actually. Uh, yeah, I mean like there's there's definitely like feedback loops, and I'm I'm definitely not an expert on like Steam game release marketing strategy in any means. Uh, that's why we have Hugh here to correct us. Um, oh yeah. But, my uh, my intuition and understanding of it would be that it's definitely kind of feedback loopy of like, oh, if a game is overwhelmingly positive on Steam, then it's more likely that people will buy that than something that's like, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, I don't know, like 70 or 80 percent positive review score. Definitely. Um, I think that definitely plays a factor into it. I think what Steam does with the, the overwhelmingly positive rating, you need to have a minimum of 500 reviews total to get overwhelmingly positive. And they've got a, a recent reviews and a total reviews section for every game. But if you haven't had more than 10 reviews in the last 30 days, you don't get a recent review section. So you can usually tell if a game is really not very popular, if it doesn't have a recent review section. Or if it was a game that used to be popular, but maybe isn't anymore, you can tell by the fact that it won't even have one of those because there's not been that many people checking it out and talking about it. 
Um, and then I think if you've got less than 500 reviews, the maximum you can get is um, like very positive or something like that. I think it's limited. And then yeah, I think you need to get the threshold is 95% of them need to be positive for it to be overwhelming. Anything above that counts as overwhelming, which on a smaller scale, one bad review can really throw you <laughs> off because you, you need to three out of 100 or sorry, five out of 100 have to be negative minimum mm -hmm. or sorry, maximum anything, anything beyond that. And you've lost it. And I remember when I first started Walsam had a hundred percent positive rating for the first like hundred reviews. And I remember every day I would refresh the steam page with so much anxiety in my chest. <laughs> like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Cause it's got to happen. Right. And uh, there's always going to be someone that doesn't like things. You can never please everyone. And it finally happened one day. And I was like, <laughs> instant, instant, like loss of like three or 4% of my, uh, my score there. But. Oh no. Yeah. It's the stats behind that are super interesting because it's like when building out so the, the data set that we have that powers the podcast, I do like a, a scrape of titles from SteamDB and then I make API calls to the Steam backend and pull all this data and stuff. And it's wow. very much a hard question of like, well, what are the best games? Like, how do you how do you qualify? Like, what are the top ones for us to even consider talking about? And like the two axes that I was playing along with at first were just like, number of reviews and what percent positive they were. And I was doing a very simple thing of like, ah, you know, just uh, combine those two with like a Pythagorean optimization, you know, just like basically just find the, the hypotenuse of the triangle, those two numbers. Um, and then the more I was looking into it, like uh, the, the site steam250.com has a mm. bunch of these different ranking algorithms that they, that they tested out and steam DB uh, also has their own ranking algorithm that like take these into account of like, you know, Steam's method of, ah, yeah, you know, like for these conditions of like, if you meet this review threshold and you're this positive, then you're in this quadrant of the, of the positivity matrix. Um, that's, you know, that's fine. I guess uh, it's probably easier to grok than, uh, than like all these different, numbers and formulas for the average consumer but like for ranking things in a in a spreadsheet like i've wound up using the steam db1 which is like um basically takes like the number of reviews and uh normalizes it to the percent positive like they have a whole thing on how it works and stuff but i feel like that one has been the most well balanced because it just gives you a like a number at the end of the day it's like oh on a scale mm -hmm. from like zero to one how good is it? Question mark. And I've been following similar uh, Hugh to your uh, to your amusement of like refreshing the review score every day. I've been following this one game, uh, this one indie uh, rogue game on Steam uh, that has a very uh, I don't know, like maybe polarizing art style question mark uh, interesting. Uh, called The Void Reigns Upon Her Heart. And ah, yeah, this. Yeah. This is a game. It's a it's a rogue style, uh, bullet hell, side scrolling shoot 'em up type game. But is it, has uh, that not got a hundred percent positive reviews? It, it uh, yeah. In my uh, in my data polls throughout the year, it had always been like hundred percent, like zero negative, zero negative, zero negative. And then uh, I want to say like recently, it had. Let's see. I'm looking on Steam right now. It has two negative reviews, and that's Damn. enough to like. Uh, on Steam, it says over. Well, it still says overwhelmingly positive, ninety nine percent. But yeah, it's like this weird uh, kind of mentality that like that puts people into a space of like oh, I have to be in these upper upper tier bracket 
of like mm. the specific category. And if I fall out of that, then, oh my God, the, the world's ending kind of a deal. And you're right that like at, at lower review volumes, that can be much more impactful where if you have a, a game that maybe Definitely. only 500 people are going to, are going to uh, review every review counts. And yeah, it can be very scary if you get review bombed for whatever reason or Definitely. things like that. Yeah. Um, you don't want to piss off a, a more than one person at a time. Cause then you're having a real bad time. <laughs> Well, funny you say about Steam 250. I remember like quite a while ago, actually, which is how I was aware of uh, Void Raids Upon a Heart. I used to watch the Steam 250 charts because Warsim didn't have that many sales, didn't have that many reviews, but it was still quite highly rated. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember seeing, I think it was the, the Hidden Gems list, which specifically is for games that don't have that many uh, reviews. And I remember seeing, you'd see a game that would just get one bad review and it would drop like 40 places on that list. Yeah. And I remember see, Warsim got a bad review one day and it was like down 13 and I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> So uh, yeah, it's it, it really for for the smaller scale games, it really does come fast, um, with with just just one person who doesn't enjoy them, and and you do sometimes like I've seen some people that that are serial bad game reviewers as well. There, <laughs> there's one guy <laughs> he left a bad review of Warsim, and then I checked his profile just out of curiosity, and every single game he owned, he had a bad review of. <laughs> I respect the consistency there, like <laughs> nothing personal. Ten thousand hours, thumbs down. Eh, it was yeah, okay. Not enough content. <laughs> um oh i can't believe we haven't even broached this topic yet this was the, one of the first questions i wrote down and we're like 45 minutes in and i haven't even asked it yet chat gpt ah yes yeah so warsim like very very text-based mm -hmm. uh very bespoke and you can tell a lot of the the heart of the creator comes out through it uh but yeah like chat gpt has really like blown up the world for good or bad uh and yeah like how what is what's what's your take on it as someone who's so much in like the text gamified space like do you do you see it as like something to work with as a tool or For something sure. or something else i think if i if i'd started warsim now with the same ambitions and vision i think i would have completed it way sooner if i had gpt as it is now even uh, back then I've, I've already used it a handful of times for for various different things when i'm like okay i want to i want to think of a bunch of item types here's thousands of item types i already have give me another 500 and and what i found is obviously it's like having an instant assistant that's really sometimes bad but yes <laughs> but you can correct them and, and they can work through it and i think i even asked it because i have uh, hundreds of it, uh, jokes in game right and i tried to come up with some myself i tried to search the internet find as many good jokes as i could that were fantasy themed and I asked GPT to write me some based on the ones that I gave it. And it there was a few that were actually quite good, surprisingly. Mm. And there were some that were really, really terrible. And they were really surprisingly bad. Like I, I couldn't wrap my head around what, but it was like, it was so bad that a human wouldn't have even made them. And so I gave them to a brain damage <laughs> gnome to tell in, in a tavern somewhere. <laughs> so Ooh, it, I love it still that. stayed as content. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the power of GPT is, is pretty terrifying. And uh, it, it definitely worries me a little bit. Um, but Hey, at least at least for the most part, it's accessible to everyone, right? So, uh, you know, at least we've all we've all got the ability to to use it for whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's tremendously helpful. I think if you can use it for anything, then then absolutely use it. For me, when I'm I'm asking it to make me large amounts of things, what I tend to find is that my job becomes more quality control than than anything. Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm checking what it's giving me, going, um, okay, that's not that good, or, or mm, can we try again, but maybe with this. But the uh, yeah, the power of it is massive. If I uh, definitely, if I'd had it all those years ago, we would have been looking at a, a different game. Maybe it would have lacked a, as much soul. I don't know. But hmm. but GPT definitely um, 
it's definitely a, an incredibly, incredibly powerful tool if you use it the right way. Yeah, well, it's great that you have like all of the content over the years to feed into it as a grounding and say, based on this stuff, right. instead of instead of just being like generate something from the void, which may not have that's been. That's true. Around. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Didn't think about that really. But are, um, are you, so it sounds like, I mean, like you can use it for like the, the actual content generation of the jokes and items and, and that sort of thing. But I, I wonder, are you using it? Um, I'm guessing at this point, you feel extremely comfortable writing the actual code for the, um, for your, um, yeah. but like, well, is it, are you using like a, a co-pilot or any of like cursor.sh or any of these like AI assisted um, uh, tool uh, code writing tools? I did dabble in um, trying to get GPT to write me a little bit of a, a Warsome mini feature. But my problem is that obviously Warsome is a, a mighty spaghetti mm -hmm. that connects in many directions. So G I can't feed 650,000 lines of code to GPT and tell it, hey, can you add this feature? Because I think it would just explode. And it probably wouldn't <laughs> even take that text in. But um, <laughs> but it in, in a very isolated space, I have managed to, to get it to do stuff. What I found was it wasn't really understanding things a little bit. And it was kind of hard. And then there was one point where I asked it to do something. And it, it gave me a chunk of code that just was instantly exactly what I wanted. And I was like, oh, oh this is crazy. That's wild, but it obviously a little small scale thing, but yeah, it's definitely doable. It's definitely, definitely doable. Probably would be even easier if I wasn't working in the world's largest bowl of spaghetti, but you know, yeah, that no, is my I, fault. <laughs> and I, I asked this partly because I, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you is I want you to inspire me to quit my job and become a solo dev, but that's, Hell yeah. <laughs> and so if you, if you were to say, oh yeah, so with these tools, even an idiot like me can like learn how to, uh, to build a beautiful app and you can just hit tab, <laughs> you say, build this beautiful thing, hit tab. And then the code generates is perfect, flawless. And, uh, that sounds like great. I'll just get started right away then. But, um, as it stands, um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly getting easier. It looks like, but, um, uh, Hell yeah. to your points, um, can you have your entire code base in there? I'm not sure. I think like a copilot, I don't know, Scott, if you Probably, dabble yeah. with this stuff, but like, that's something where you can like have your entire repo, I think in the, um, or the whole code, code base, um, at least a visible to, um, the LLM, but I don't know. These are the things that I want to get excited at, like start building. And yeah, that, that's, a, that's a dream come true. Trust me that I, 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 I would love to be able to have, uh, an instant coding co-pilot that could create everything for you. It's it, then it becomes like an arms race almost, doesn't it? To then try and create something <laughs> good and fun, but right. Yeah, definitely about an to amazing, be a, incredible concept. A lot of like, uh, really bad games coming out as people are using this. They have never really <laughs> yeah. games before. Someone like, releasing a new game like, every five minutes. Right. Yeah. Just like, Hey, write in that or write a game that does this. And you just like, you know, a few modifications. There's one game next day. Or, or even game. Hey GPT, <laughs> write me an algorithm, write me a code that will write me a new game every minute. <laughs> using gpt <laughs> that's that's meta <laughs> that's, what, uh, that's the, i want to play that <laughs> but yeah uh, well you were saying about uh in inspire you if i was able to do this then i'm pretty sure any person with a, a functioning brain could do do anything code wise or game wise i was I, I i followed youtube tutorials quit after the first 10 and just carried on with my very basic knowledge to build something ridiculous but i think the only thing that i had that really helped me was persisting and that's the only thing that maybe maybe is a special thing is persisting and obviously caring about the fucking community and talking. But the the skill involved is not not really very much at all. <laughs> so if I can do it with my terrible spaghetti code, building a, a giant mountain out of small blocks of shit, I'm pretty sure you could. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because that persistence element is is like a, a very important one, I think. And, and I mm. think it is it does, as you pointed out earlier, have some relationship to community. So if you were to like 
like plot your level of persistence over time with relationship to uh, how large and uh, engaged your community is? Would you say that like, yeah, it was fine for a while. It was interesting to learn the thing. And then suddenly I got community feedback and it became like this passion project where it became 100%. a meaningful thing. And that's where it really took off for you. Or or was it just kind of more consistent all the way, all the way through? Yeah, no, it, it definitely evolved. It definitely evolved a lot. It started off and it was a passion project because I was like, ooh, I'm making stuff happen with my own words. This is crazy. And then it was it was just a game for me. It was just fun. And then at some point, obviously, you can't do that forever, you know, and it did sort of fade a little bit. And um, and then there was people that were giving me feedback and checking it out on a really small scale. And, and I would get a comment every week, maybe. And that comment would carry me through to the following week. And over time, it started growing. And it, it got to a point where, you know, if I was getting 20 comments on it in a day, which would be a huge day, obviously, that that's that's fuel for another month for me. You know, it was so exciting. And I think obviously to not, you know, smoke up anyone's ass obviously getting money for the thing as well was it was a whole extra thing that changed the game for me and i think as soon as people had invested in the game and had bought a copy of the game and it was in early access i felt a deep commitment to like i can't drop this now i don't want to create some abandonware or pull some of those kickstarter campaign things that people have done you know i want to see this through and actually deliver what i promised and make something and i think that was a big motivator as well but the constant community feedback was invaluable and i think probably the the strongest fuel for, for the longest amount of time and I, I it's never faded really i still i still feel like really excited whenever i see a new review i check almost every day i have a little check search for the newest latest reviews check on reddit discord whatever and see what people are saying and it always it always makes me happy i still don't really i still sometimes feel like i'm being punked <laughs> but <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's beautiful it has not faded and yeah, it's been it's a like, long time now and you know that like with like this is as you continue to work on this, this is like a, a like a legacy project that even long after you're gone, like this game will still exist and be available. And as, as is proven by the <laughs> fact that it doesn't have intense graphics, like it won't matter if graphics become the most oh. intense, like, uh, you know, three, uh, just, a, you know, VR experience, uh, everything turned up to the max because it turns out that the fun is not a function of like graphics uh, alone. And so um, I don't know, mate. You know, this, I feel it, like it should stand the test of time, but ostensibly that, that should be the case. It could stand the test of time unless there's a windows update that comes out and removes cmd <laughs> <laughs> in which case is, is bye bye baby then <laughs> back to bar work <laughs> but yeah hopefully not well there are just, other bill gates don't do it <laughs> <laughs> he's, well, he's well, an avid listening to this podcast i'm sure so bill noted noted fan of do the, not pull uh... the plug on cmd i'm telling you now man indeed are there any um are there any games that you play like outside of doing warsim dev stuff that you feel like deserve more attention? Oh yeah, so many to be honest, so many games. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's it's really kind of a curse sometimes when you get into developing and you you learn how to expand on things and you can indulge in your own I want to add this, I want to do this and see other games you're like wow, they've got such an amazing thing in their hands here like if I was the lead of this team, I'd be doing so many things with it like there's uh, there's just so many amazing amazing games out there so many different projects it, it would be really hard to pick one to be honest i think so sometimes it's like you, you look on steam and you're trying to find a good game and it feels like there's a drought and it feels like there's just absolute crap everywhere and i don't know other times you see these these amazing little passion projects being made and there's uh, just so many so many things being built and bubbling up really would be hard to pick one to be honest hmm. not cop out on that <laughs> <laughs> Can we just ask for like uh, some favorite games then that maybe that uh, you've mm. personally enjoyed? Yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I, I play. I, I go through phases a lot of games, so I, I I'm quite enjoying. Um, 
playing a lot of Crusader Kings 3 mods at the moment. That's, that's always a fun time. It's, I, I still can't wrap my head around how they've built something that is so massive and yet so malleable. It's, it's pretty crazy, pretty impressive. Um, uh, a guy that I'm kind of pen pals with uh, is working on a game called World Box, uh, which is a god simulator. And that that game, he, he didn't put it on Steam. And I was like, why? Put it on Steam, man. Put it on Steam. And it's doing really well on Steam now. I'm pretty sure he's living his dream. Uh, hmm. But that's a really cool game. And he, he I wish he would update it more, but I understand it's because he's he's cooking and he's building um, but I'm I'm always waiting for more because it's it's a really addictive thing to watch, quite quite therapeutic actually. Um, and then um, I've I've got a few internet pen, pen pals that are working on a few different things. Uh, one guy that I chat to worked on uh, Streets of Rogue, Ooh. and um, Streets of Rogue is an absolutely incredible game, and he's working on an open world sequel, which I think is going to be probably my most anticipated game of the year when it finally comes out. Um, and I, I'm yeah, I'm trying to think. Who who else we've got? There's there's, yeah, there's always there's always there's always some cool stuff. I gotta ask you: Have you played? Um, there's another. It was another solo dev project. At least it started out that way. Um, it, it's a, a Kenshi. Maybe it's a game you've heard of. I oh I, Kenshi, yeah, sorry. And it reminds me of, a, a, a lot of Warsim in, in many respects. <laughs> yeah, well, I so I I found Kenshi many many years ago, and I tried to play it, and I just I don't know what happened, but I just really did not get it. I just really couldn't vibe with it, and so I I quit uninstalled, got a refund. And then I ended up checking it out years later and something just clicked in me and I played it for 300 hours straight <laughs> and uh, not, not to un-PG your podcast, but so in, in Kenshi, you can, uh, you can harvest your own hash in the, in the swamps, right. And, and build your own little drug empire. And in real life, I went and acquired some hash just so I could really role play the game. <laughs> <laughs> that was how much I was into Kenshi. I really loved it. I even added um, the character beep, which is a, a, a sort of bug person who, they're, they're, they're connected to a hive, essentially, is one of the civilizations in Kenshi. And uh, the he's disconnected from the hive because of his brain damage. So he's unable to be part of the hive mind. And so he just walks around saying beep. And uh, absolutely incredible goat character. And I added him to Warsim in a little shack that you can find in the middle of nowhere if you explore the Procgen exploration system. I added a few updates back. And I had a lot of uh, a lot of Kenshi fans being like, "This is the crossover I never knew I needed." <laughs> I mean, that's delightful. I didn't realize that was a thing, but that just that is utterly delightful. Yeah, huge, huge, huge fan of Kenshi. I'd I'd love to meet the guy that developed it. I think absolutely outstanding effort. He made something that has no business being able to be done as a solo project. It sounds like one of those bizarre ambition things that people would say, "Oh yeah, I want to make a game that's hugely open world with a crazy world that's like Morrowind," but. You've never seen anything like it before. It's much bigger. You can build a whole civilization, all this other stuff. Not achievable, surely, by a single person. But And yet he still did it. I think his name's Chris. Chris something. But absolutely amazing effort. Genuinely incredible. Deserves I think he's working on a Kenshi, Kenshi 2 right now, by the way. Not not to saying that uh, you, know, uh, you should be so inspired. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. Kenshi 2 is, is, is cooking. And it will be very exciting when it finally drops. I don't know how long it'll take because I mean I imagine it's going to be as monumental as the previous one, but but with with even more. But he's got a team now, I imagine. Yeah, I think so. All the all the all those Kenshi millions. <laughs> and too right, good luck. But these are the kind of game studios we need, ones that are developed by people that have started with something crazy and then go on to to you know build these incredible wild things. So I love to see it. Well, I think that does it all for questions on my end. Will, did you have anything else you wanted to? I, I to... check my notes here. I mean, I got all my gushing out. Uh, that at least <laughs> most of it that I needed to here, and I can't go too over the top. But um, 
it's it's um why not it's really great no, to no. have you on <laughs> cheers well, mate yeah no i really appreciate it yeah uh thanks for thanks for coming on the pod uh is there anything that you want to promote or shout out no not at all <laughs> <laughs> why not have a moment devoid of capitalism <laughs> excellent perfectly good idea uh warsim bitcoin coming soon um so... yeah, yeah warsim bitcoin coming soon um got the dlc dropping in a week um <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be one of 700 dlcs that i'm dropping that's the best part they're procedurally generated um they all cost 50 dollars <laughs> each <laughs> it's just free real estate <laughs> excellent well yeah thanks again for coming on the pod come back anytime we'd love to have you Oh, hell yeah. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to ramble about video games and passions <laughs> anytime. All right. Well, that was our seamless transition from our interview back here to our, uh, our I guess, main part of the episode, question mark. What a good uh, interview. I should oh, yes. listen to it. <laughs> uh will was uh was on on deck for the, our interview part and uh colin and andrew sadly had uh had jobs to be working at the time so we've uh we've kind of spliced this out into into two different parts but yeah uh, i'm actually i I'm, I'm probably as excited as the average listener to listen to the interview because i haven't had a chance to to hear it yet so well it's, to, yeah. yeah we we talk about all sorts of wacky stuff uh from marketing strategies to chat gpt and everything in between i mean you if you've made it this far in the recording you uh you know exactly what we were talking about but <laughs> um but now for what everyone has come here for is listener email bum, 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 bum. uh i've decided to to kind of take some emails that were more sort of long-winded that we've been getting and uh, and put them here in our special episode to give them some some much needed attention. So without further ado, uh, we have uh, our first email come in from gosh, how do I pronounce this? Uh, the the BIGE, the Beige 23 uh, the writes into the the Biggie. Uh, I, like, I like Biggie. The Biggie, Biggie 23. Biggie's writing in. A bit of a um, flow. <laughs> uh writes in and says uh how much of a roguelike slash roguelite do you feel you need to complete before covering it many games in the genre have secret levels or bosses or require numerous wins to get the full experience so when do you feel you've seen enough to give the game a fair shake Ooh, this is a great question a great question that weighs heavily uh on my mind um I've, yeah, you know, I've considered this and, you know, you're kind of uh, there There are some issues with like not wanting to spoil yourself, potentially. Um, I, I feel like. Yeah, what's what is reasonable? I mean, it varies from game <laughs> to game, right? It just it just depends. Um, but I mean, sometimes, you know, when when the game's a game is just not gelling with someone like, you know, we're not going to expect uh our, our fellow pod members to you know just power through it uh except for in the case of dead cells uh will really should have uh <laughs> tried to play that for at least longer than 10 minutes a good, a good two hours come on two <laughs> yeah, hours yeah. minimum just because like you know you, i gotta assign a value uh, i'm gonna say like two hours <laughs> two hours minimum you gotta get in under that, say that for, window two, for, for the, the, the Sorry, I'll let you all uh, give your answer as well. Um, but uh, I would say that 
you know, the, the measuring stick that, we're, stick that we're using here is just like a, you know, a for fun, you know, podcast that we enjoy yeah. making and we don't want it to be unenjoyable. So if somebody, <laughs> if we one of us is playing paid, a game and they're, you know, you're not liking it, that's fair. If we're being paid to do this, I'd feel more guilty about the length of time that I've played on some of the games, but eh. I mean, I, like I view this and have always viewed this as kind of a video game book club type thing where uh, it's the three or four of us playing a game and then talking about it. And uh, we get in as far as we, we managed to get. And um, I, I usually try and do at minimum like five to 10 hours. I feel like that is a, usually a good amount of time to get a feel for the game enough that you can at least talk about it. Uh, obviously, more would be better in, in most cases because, yeah, uh, secret levels, bosses, numerous wins, etc. Like, that's something that we often don't get to in in these games. So really, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're more getting a taste of these games a lot of times. Um, and I think that in some ways, roguelikes uh, are the perfect genre for, for that because there are runs and you can get a an experience doing a full run um without having to play like a Baldur's Gate level 100 hours to get the <laughs> whole experience um, mm -hmm. but there's definitely games where we're not getting the the depth of experience that people who are really into the games are are getting um and I I know that that affects our ratings in a lot of cases like there are, uh, I I the the RimWorld episode most recently where Will and I had played extensive hours of RimWorld <laughs> and like the things that you guys are talking about I'm like oh yeah I don't even remember not knowing how to do that right. so like I'm rating this game on a level of competency that you can't expect to someone to have after five hours mm -hmm. so like there are definitely certain aspects of the games where I bet you they either shine or become repetitive if you play them the full amount of time mm -hmm. but i mean we've got two weeks and full-time jobs and other commitments of life and other games that we want to play so it's hard enough That's to right, get in other games <laughs> and other it's games. hard enough to get adults to do anything let alone commit to like two hours throughout two weeks to do something but uh but yeah i think like yeah you, i think you hit it right on the head with like um for funsies uh and like the run-based nature of a lot of these games like if you can kind of grok the idea within like a run or two, yeah, like you could probably make some blanket judgment on the face of it. There are a lot of games that like compound with like meta progression as you unlock stuff. And I feel like I'm I'm glad that I stuck with Gungeon through that process because I felt like I kind of bounced off it pretty hard to start with, but I knew that it had that kind of like, oh, okay. And I know that like lots of people spend a lot of time in this game there's got to be something to it. Uh, maybe I'll just keep grinding away at it. And I can, I can just got over that hump just barely. And I could see the, the vast horizon in front of me of, uh, of gameplay possibility. But um, I think also when we were picking our algorithm for picking games, maybe algorithms too generous, our uh, weird, bizarre pick them out of a hat method of how we were picking games at the start of this podcast was very much like, Oh, here's three games we've never played before. Uh, let's pick one of these three random things we just drew out of a hat. Um, and in particular, our Shattered Pixel Dungeon, I think, caught some flack for that because 
we picked that one over a couple other games that we had never played. Um, but that's a game that like has a lot of that kind of discoverability and stuff to it uh, where, yeah, you play through it once, like you'd maybe see like five to 10% of what the whole game has to offer. But again, if it's like a game that we're kind of coming in blind and we don't really have any knowledge of or muscle memory for, and we kind of bounce off it hard, I feel like, yeah, like those, those games early on maybe had a little bit of a, an uphill battle. But now I think with what we're doing where we kind of come to the table with something of like, oh, I want to talk about this game because blah. Uh, okay. I feel like you us... need to have at least one person advocating for the game mm -hmm. in order to like get past it, it. If all of us have like not the best first impression of it, and you need that like person be like, hey, I really like this game. You're like, huh, well, if Scott likes it, then I... I feel like I should give it another chance. First, like, like Warsim is the perfect example. Like, ha hearing you guys talk about it and talk about how much you enjoyed the interview, I'm like, man, I really feel like I should go back and play Warsim <laughs> again. Like, was I, was I wrong? Like, Will likes it so much, and I generally like games that Will likes. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe I should go give it another shot. And like, you need that kind of uh, some someone needs to be there to to advocate for that game. Um, if you're not as into it yeah. to get you to keep going on it. So, and I think another aspect is that our, our very scientific set in stone ratings for this program are not set in stone and that we could change them at any time. And, uh, like my luck be a landlord rating. I think when we reviewed the game was like, yeah, it was pretty good. And like, since we did that episode of like, I've been coming back to it more and more and I've just been pushing that rating higher up on the chart. So there, there will probably be some way for us to to revisit that stuff later on. I mean, obviously with uh, playoff style things at the end of the year, will will uh, give us a chance to revisit things. But um, but yeah, I think like having having the ability to be flexible with our mindset and being able to change those rankings over time as we come back to things is another kind of level of flexibility that we can we can say like, well, yeah, I only spent a few hours in that game before, but maybe I should come back to it. Maybe my opinion on it has changed with different games that we've played along the way, kind of a thing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Colin, real quick, going back to what you said, uh, the number that you stated five to 10 hours. I, I agree with that insofar as that is, that is an ideal amount. Like I'd like to sure, yeah. do five to 10, but that's not always possible. Um, and in the question, it says like, you know, when you've seen enough, you know, when do you think you feel like you've seen enough to give it a fair shake? Fairness is definitely in my mind when I'm playing these games, and it's more in my mind when it's a game that I'm not particularly enjoying. So I find myself in a tough spot. It's like, am I being fair to this game? Should I push forward and push myself to play more of it? Um, and uh, yeah, it can just you know, it can be kind of tricky because it's like I don't know the good game. Oftentimes I'll be like, well, you know, I'm enjoying this right out of the gate, and I I feel pretty <laughs> confident. But like, oops, oops, it's, thirty it's hours. Hard feels a little harder to pass judgment on you know mm -hmm. when when i'm not feeling it so much and some I of these also, games i feel like um as long as we're kind of like transparent about how much we actually played the game you're like yeah you know what i only got two hours into this game um i didn't care for it that much but you know if you there might be more content if you if you manage to to like get more into it and and, and dig into its depths more so I yeah like and, and that Right. And that's another thing. And I totally respect, you know, folks who are fans of a game that gets covered and 
you know, um, yeah. our or, or, or maybe not wrong. super happy that, <laughs> you know, there hasn't been that, that, you know, some of us haven't played it to the maximum amount. <laughs> it's like, we, we'd love to, but, uh, not always, uh, it's not always tangible. It's not always the, reasonable. The data set that I always reference, uh, that that's up on the grog pod website. Uh, one of the things that I have in there is the, the playtime percentiles for each of the games in it. So you mm. can go in and you can see like, here's here's like the 10th percentile amount of time that people have played. Here's like the 50th, 90th. And it gives you kind of a, a, a spectrum of like, oh, this is how uh, deep the game can go. And so for things like, let's say, I'm just looking, looking through some of the ones on this list, like Dead Cells, like the 50th percentile of playtime is like 65 hours. That seems about right. Obviously, probably hard to do in two weeks with a full-time job. But I think, like, if you played it, like, the 10th percentile is, like, 10 hours. I feel like 10 hours, you could probably see a lot of that game. And the 90th percentile is 247 hours. Like, it's it's got some long tail to it. Something else like Binding of Isaac, uh, that has a 50th percentile, 464 hours. So wow. kind of kind of a lot. There's a lot of engagement there. But at the same time, like... I feel like if you play through two or three runs of Binding of Isaac, you kind of got the idea, right? You, you sort of know what the game is about and how it plays and stuff. I don't think you need to necessarily spend a thousand plus hours on it to, quote, really get it. But there are games that do have that much longer tail to them than others. Um, and yeah, like, you, you, some of them are just bottomless, but some of them you can kind of even with those bottomless games, like you can kind of get the idea of them from the get-go pretty quickly with that cyclical nature to them. I think of like something like Rocket League. Mm -hmm. You could play a game in five minutes. You'd be like, wow, this is hard. You played a couple <laughs> more games and you know what Rocket League is. You could keep playing it for 700 more hours, but like you get the gist of the game very quickly. Mm -hmm. But do you know... Do you know what Rocket League is unless you've done 25 hours of acrobatics training? I mean, that's where the real game begins. Sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to our next email. Uh, which one? Which direction are we moving in? Are we moving one way? Oh, 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 yeah. That's yeah, a good point. Uh, this email uh, comes from, let's see. Yeah, so... Uh, Hi, GrogPod hosts. I'm Rel. I used to play quite a bit of One Way Heroics. Uh, this episode, the One Way Heroics episode that we did in the past, uh, convinced me to tune in for the first time. I didn't think anyone would be talking about One Way Heroics in 2023. So thanks for sharing your experiences with it. Enjoyed the chat. Uh, some things I'd like to mention. One Way Heroics 2 is in development! Exclamation mark. It has been since before 2020, I believe by the same singular dev Smoking Wolf, who also goes by the moniker Silver Second, uh, looks like it retains some of the, quote, encroaching wall of darkness concept, uh, but you're moving across a hexagonal grid now and there's deck building mechanics, question mark? Uh, Rel goes on to say, uh, one way heroics, uh, music problem on the Steam Deck. Uh, yes, I mentioned this uh, as a thing that was kind of frustrating me a little bit. Uh, it's a problem with translating a Windows game to play on a Linux-based platform, SteamOS, uh, there is a fix, but you'll need to read a bit. Uh, and they've sent a link to a Proton uh, DB fix that I guess maybe I'll I'll post that in the uh, in the show notes. Um, 
But uh, but yeah, they go on to say, yes, yes, the Mystery Dungeon series games are very much worth your time. I've played the Shiren and Pokemon vari- variants and I have some thoughts. Uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon is a bit too watered down, uh, in my opinion, for a roguelike, but the stories are nice. And hey, it's Pokemon. Cute monsters. Most importantly, unlike the mainstream games, you get to be a Pokemon. This spinoff series is entirely human-free, and it kind of works in its own charming way. The most recent entries on the Switch, a remake of the very first Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, love the picture book art style. Uh, and I guess there's a downloadable demo for it as well. Uh, maybe downloadable for a Switch? Uh, <laughs> uh, they go on to say, Shiren on the Wanderer is hands down one of the best all caps when it comes to roguelikes that you can play with a controller. A lot more punishing than Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. Very item-based. Uh, you can do creative things like mending different or melding different equipment together uh, to make them stronger. And it has a unique mythological slash folktale Japanese setting. Uh, Shiren the Wanderer, the Tower of Fortune and Dice of Fate. Yes, ridiculous game title. Most people just call it Shiren 5. Is the most recent entry. Has gorgeous sprite work. Definitely worth a try on Steam, Switch, and PS4. Uh, the first Shiren title came out in Japan only on the SNES. Uh, but there's a remake of that on the Nintendo DS. And it also uh, is the very first Shiren title, title officially released in the West. I personally prefer this title. It has a, It's a lot more succinct relative to Shiren 5 and elegant as a roguelike. Uh, definitely try it if you can find it. The Shiren series in particular, Shiren 1 on the on the SNES, is a cult classic for the Japanese player base. There's even a small speedrunning slash racing scene uh, with some of their runs up on Twitch. Uh, sum up, uh, there are also Mystery Dungeon adaptations of Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, the latter being the very first Mystery Dungeon game in the series. Uh, a remake of the third Final Fantasy adaptation, uh, Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon. Everybody, uh, B-U-D-D-Y, is on Switch and also might be worth your time. Uh, apologies for my rambling and thanks for reading if you've made it this far. Looking forward to more roguelike chat. Regards, Rel. No uh, apologies needed. Rambling? <laughs> Come on. You're talking to some full-time yeah. ramblers right here. Um, wow, 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 wow. One Way Heroics 2 exciting times also, yeah i would be say, like great the dev has awesome monikers awesome nicknames <laughs> yeah i'm i'm super curious about a one-way heroics too it, it's it's and one-way heroics is an interesting game because it does i guess technically in air quotes have a sequel in air quotes in that the there's um who is it spike chunsoft or something like bought the the ip rights or, or it's, it's like a uh was it like mystery dungeon one way heroics 2 or something like that it's it's like oh that's right yeah it's like a sequel and everything but name where it's like eh, it kind of looks the same but it doesn't it feels like it well i guess i don't know I, again i'm judging with zero hours of playtime like we just discussed um but i get the sense that it's one of those things where it's like oh inspired by one way heroics but not quite the same kind of level of indie dev yeah. jankiness uh which is kind of what I'm looking for in a one-way heroics too. Uh, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see if the different movement mechanics and deck building add to to that kind of system. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it sounds like it could be interesting. Um, I like one-way heroics has definitely been 
one of the more individual unique games that we've played like it is not like any of the like i, I remember when we were doing the, the the playoff bowl you know like i don't even know what category this goes in like it's it's kind of its own thing and i i appreciate that and uh regardless of how much i liked it or not uh i want more interesting unique games to be made mm-hmm. just as a as a concept so for sure for sure and i'm um, looking at uh rel sent over some links to some gameplay of the in development ow h2 our our two uh and uh, it looks pretty cool it's like hex based I, I dig the aesthetic uh very cool very cool here for yeah it. colin you you kind of nailed it with like one way heroics being it's not quite a traditional roguelike and it's not quite something like binding of isaac it's that mystery dungeon space that we really haven't explored yet uh and like these pokemon mystery dungeon games i i faffed around a little bit with um pokemon red rescue team in a gba emulator and it's it's interesting and i think i get what rel's saying here about it being like more kind of like the Pokemon ones being more kind of cutesy, uh, casual mystery dungeon entries. That makes sense. Uh, it fits with this theme. Yeah, that I mean, yeah, that would make sense. Um, and yeah, I've been kind of curious to try out Shiren because, like, the idea of like a Super Nintendo rogue style game just sounds so so weird and whimsical that it would fit really nicely into that category of like weird like still kind of figuring out what the genre is type uh stuff um and yeah i guess like shiren 5 being on steam is is interesting a lot of these mystery dungeon games also seem exclusive to nintendo platforms and as i guess like we don't really have like a blanket statement of like this is a pc game only podcast uh but it would be interesting to kind of dive into some of those other other consoles there's um there's one that is a for sure stay tuned that had been PS5 exclusive up until very recently, Returnal, which, God, I, yeah. I think I have to upgrade my graphics card specifically to play. Um, but yeah, some of these that are like Switch exclusives, I'm like racking my brain of like, okay, how could we go about procuring... Do you have a Switch? I do not, uh, but Andrew, I wonder... do you have a Switch? Uh, yes, all right, so Andrew, we just have to all go to your house yeah, and play on perfect. your Switch. Come on down. Because I, I don't, and I know Will doesn't either, so. Right. Uh, I mean, I might as well not have one. I, I never use it. <laughs> Last time I used yeah. it was uh, an ill-fated attempt to play in a, a Doki Doki Tetris tournament at PAX, and I got just totally wrecked. <laughs> um yeah we uh we got one so yeah i could just like you know play for a few hours and then pop it mm-hmm. in the mail and and yeah over the course of a two-week period <laughs> i'll play a game probably maybe potentially <clears throat> gotta send it express um express. yeah and, and there's a uh, there's a new shiren game coming out uh in january i think also for switch um but yeah like fresh fresh off of the production pipeline, which I think people are super, super pumped up about. So um, I think covering some game out of the Shiren series, I hear a lot of people always talk about the Chocobo or the Chocobo Mystery Dungeon games as well. Like that's that's like its own series too. Like there's there's 
so much of this mystery dungeon orc of the roguelike roguelite spectrum that's like that could almost be it's like its own entire podcast wing in and of itself so um definitely a lot to explore there for sure yeah um love chocobos and a chocobo century game sounds pretty radical yeah and i'm looking at this like i don't i don't think that there's any way that i could play this besides uh stealing someone's switch and uh playing it on <laughs> i'm probably not gonna buy a switch just for chocobo mystery dungeon but mm, you don't have a switch uh well, christmas is coming i believe there were um some chocobo mystery dungeon games for the ps1 okay, so there are there are ways out there yeah there are there are ways to uh to utilize our PC power for that kind of thing. When was the first Chocobo? When? <sighs> yeah, was it Final Fantasy? What I mean, Final I think Fantasy... Final Fantasy One has Chocobos in there. Oh, is it? You in, back in, into uh, the first one. Let me just uh, look over here at my <laughs> copy of Final Fantasy One, uh, autographed hey, by Sakaguchi. It should be noted. <laughs> Certainly, I don't like to mention. Oh. I don't like to bring it up. Um, I'm I'm pretty confident. I'm going to double check, though. Do a little research. I'll get back to you in a bit. Uh, yeah, remember. this Mystery Dungeon Theater... Uh, Mystery Dungeon feels like it could almost be its own uh, subgenre of some kind. Are these mystery... Is the term Mystery Dungeon copywritten? Does someone own that? That's a great question. Or does it just I, happen to be in the name naming conventions of all these games? I think... Um, well, it was something that came up from... Uh, what was... Yeah, like... Our writer, Rel, had mentioned uh one of the i think dragon quest games there was like a dragon quest npc that got spun off into their own game called uh howloon's great adventure colon mystery dungeon and that's what kicked off like oh like this is a whole genre now i don't think that like uh i don't know if that's owned by square enix but it wouldn't shock me because then you would have like the final fantasy crossover stuff um but that is where I believe the the moniker comes from. And it's frustrating because I've, I've always like penned in this. Okay, in the future on the schedule, we'll play um, Talon's Great Adventure and uh, the SNES Shiren as like, this is the first foray into like console controller rogues. Uh, and for the life of me, I cannot find an English translation ROM of Talon's Great Adventure Mystery Dungeon uh so i don't know if it would be if it would be inappropriate for us to play a japanese text only game i think will speaks japanese but i don't know how well that would uh, i mean i what think will took it? japanese in high school so it's been a <laughs> minute uh well, we could maybe uh yeah i don't know if you just like hold up google lens to your computer screen yeah google translate that's pretty handy. Uh, I've got some breaking news. Uh, the the archivists uh, have returned an answer for us. It would appear that uh, Andrew Harshman is wrong. Uh, for in penance, I'm gonna have to throw away my copy of Final Fantasy One. It wasn't until the second game that we got mm, Chocobos. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the series starts there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw Chocobo in playing. Final Fantasy four or six, whichever whichever is the one with the Magitech mechs. Oh, yeah. Good stuff, wow. good stuff. Oh, that intro music. Ooh, running <laughs> running with your mech through the snow. Come on now. I've watched speedrun videos. Um 
Indeed, indeed. Oh yeah, mystery dungeon. Love a mysterious dungeon. That is that is some some good stuff. I do declare. Um, huh. Interesting. I'm guessing that it's caught. Well, yeah, we got it. We got to get around to playing something, something mysterious, and something that takes place. In. <laughs> yeah, where are roguelike mysteries? Like uh, solve solve puzzles, solve uh, mystery murders. You know, in the the original, um, the the first uh, the point and click Blade Runner game, yeah. uh, is actually like randomized to some extent. So it's like you are doing an investigation. It is a mystery, and it's like who's the mysterious replicant? Um, changes each playthrough. So there hmm. are there is something like that. Just another little. Uh, you know, instance of how randomization uh, can really add something to a game. All right, now what happens if we go to Steam here and we type in to the store Mystery Dungeon? What do we got? What do we got here? There's oh, a good number. All right, of... well, I'm just going to yeah, skip over the first few results. Interesting. <laughs> uh, Senpai in the Mystery Dungeon, you say? Uh, uh, yeah, we probably won't. We'll wish we we got to keep this uh, oh, podcast right. G rated a little bit. Pardon visual me. novel, visual novel. Uh, Conan Exiles. I don't know if that's a mystery dungeon. Um, yeah, I want to see. Interesting. I figured. I I figured for sure there'd be a couple a couple of games. Interesting. Huh. Well. Um. Yeah. Well, a lot of info. Appreciate the email from Rel, and I also appreciate. Uh, you know, Rel offering some troubleshooting advice to Scott because you know. A key part of all of our episodes is Scott's Steam Deck Corner. <laughs> and if, you know, if that's not working, if the games aren't running, then um, one of the, the the key elements of the show was missing. All right. I got I got some uh, some recommendations for uh, Steam Mystery Dungeons that uh, okay. that that we could probably check out. Although, like, I don't know, some of these like, again, we're we're playing with fire a little bit because of the Steam tag nuance. Oh my god, what is this one? Oh, uh so the top ones uh for sure stay tunes uh Crypt of the, Crypt of the Necrodancer I guess mm. could be a mystery dungeon in some sense. Um there's a game that uh I guess I don't know how I feel like this game is probably pretty roguey inspired called Reventure. It's very much a like uh it random not maybe not for random sake but like looks like almost like a bottomless sandbox kind of in a vein of i would guess noita maybe um but yeah i mean i have to dive into it for to be absolutely sure uh, whoa, 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 whoa. 100 different endings it says here <laughs> can you imagine uh we got one way heroics obviously uh we have a game that um Again, is this a mystery dungeon? Maybe uh, the world is your weapon. Uh, this is one that like always crops up as like being being at the top of like very highly rated and like debatably is like I think this game is also tagged as a traditional roguelike, which I don't think that's technically true. I think this is definitely more of a mystery dungeon end of the spectrum. But uh, mm. it is grid based. It does look like it's turn based. So... And developed in RPG Maker. Ooh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> I think One Way Heroics was also. No, that one was. Uh... Was that his Smoking Wolf's own? Anyway, uh, what else we got in here? We got Shattered Pixel Dungeon, our, our fave from before. 
and then we have a long list of uh of weird hentai yeah new <laughs> sexual content uh yeah so uh so those first three we talked about were probably worth uh, yo yo the world is your weapon i they they mean it we got uh, swing around a fridge you can pick up a house um, and smack someone with it. Swing around houses? Hey, that's pretty That's pretty groovy. <laughs> oh, the housing market, am I right, folks? <laughs> um, yeah, well, hey, this heck, this should, could be a whole a whole episode. Defining uh, what a mystery dungeon is. History of mystery dungeon. Solving the mystery of mystery dungeon. That's what I'm saying. Exciting stuff. Indeed, indeed. All right, I think uh, that's going to do it for long-winded emails uh, this time. If you dear listener, are A, still listening, kudos to your endurance, or you're stuck in traffic. Uh, if you would like to write in your own long-winded email for us to, to read on a special occasion, you can send that in to grogpodzone at gmail.com. I do make sure to read all the emails, and I try to respond to them, whether or not if we can fit them into a, uh, a nice... <laughs> Attempted hour-long segment segment is uh, is another is another question, but uh, for shorter form comms, you can uh, at us on Mastodon, everyone's favorite decentralized social media platform, grogpod at gamedev.place, where you can find us there, uh, and you can find all of our rankings and data and other episodes and tags and things and our results from the inaugural grogpod Omega Bowl, our season recap uh, from. Season one, I guess. I don't know if this is... I'll count this as also season one. Who, who cares? Uh, grogpod.zone, the website. Um, yeah. Uh, next up, Our next episode coming up, hot and fast here, is uh, a, a Will pick. And although he's not here to give us a, a bit of a preview, uh, Colin, uh, what, what, would, what would you say about rogue tower to kind of wet people's appetite for our upcoming inaugural second season uh it's a good tower defense game um where the levels are randomized and the order in which you unlock towers changes throughout your course of your run sometimes you don't get all the towers that you want um and if you play it like will and i it ends up being a spreadsheet madness as you try and <laughs> uh input all the values and calculate what the actual perfect optimal uh run scenarios are when should you upgrade your towers what kind of magic how how much magic uh will's already will's already posting graphs in our discord great <laughs> um so stay tuned for that uh well, well we might have to get will to post some of them graphs after the next episode that's what the show notes are for for yeah. sure all right. Well, that's going to do it for our winter special. Uh, go and grab some Nog. Go and fire up, uh, heat up some glue vine uh, for us. Uh, and we'll play out this episode with some more music from uh, Hugh's solo dev game, Warsim. Uh, but this time an 8-bit version uh, from our favorite text-based colony sim. We'll see you next season. <laughs>